Hey guys, yes, we are part of a 12-step fellowship, and yes, we are recovering addicts, but our thoughts and feelings towards topics and or ideas are not reflective of 12-step fellowships. These are our own personal opinions. Welcome back to One Podcast at a Time. I'm your host, Danny. I'm Tony. I'm Tuna. And today we have a special guest. <laughs> uh, I think you're nervous. What's going on here? Are you nervous? No, not not typically nervous. Just um, an almost unknown person, but I'm very interested to get into it. Well, that's okay. I mean, that's, you know, that's a part of our lives is... is uh, you know, the bond between us is because of our addictions, you know? Mm. So, we talk to strangers all the time, don't we? Yeah, it's that the ties true. that bind us. So, let's stop being a weirdo and leaving this, this guest of ours on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> so, today we have a special guest. She found us on Instagram, messaged us, and if you're listening, you might be able to get on the show, too. Just give us a message. <laughs> uh, she is a recovering addict. She is recovering from drugs and love. Uh, I am happy to welcome Cammy to the show. Cammy, welcome. <laughs> With all you strangers. Yeah, all of us strangers. All right. You looking at me, Danny? Why are you looking uh, at me? <laughs> your dogs are barking. Um, I know we got a lot of chaos going on in the background here. So, uh, sorry. I don't, I don't mind the dogs if, if you guys don't mind the dogs. Oh, we love the dogs. Um, so I guess first and foremost, uh, tell us how you found us. Yeah, absolutely. So Instagram, social media people, it's like the place to be. So I found you guys on Instagram, you know, I was like, I really want to start like sharing a message of like hope and recovery, um, on podcasts. And I just was like, you know what? I'm going to start reaching out to a bunch of different, like, recovery. I literally put in, like, hashtag recovery podcast, and you guys just, like, popped up. Wow. And um, and so that's how I found you. I found you by a hashtag. I was hoping. And, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I was hoping you were going to say, like, you know, someone, you, you live in Florida, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I was hoping you were gonna say people were sharing it down there and it got all big, but <laughs> no, you just found us by. I mean, that's what I need to say. We can go with <laughs> I think half of our neighborhood lives down there anyway, so yeah. yeah. Isn't there a lot of recovery houses down there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like you know what do they say the recovery capital of the country or something? I don't know. Oh yeah. My cousin's down there. He's never came back. Yeah, he went on vacation and just <laughs> stayed, huh? Yeah, he won't. He refuses to come back. <laughs> That's the way to go. I mean, that's basically what happened with me. You know, I came down to Florida. I thought I was going to go back after a few months, and then I just stayed. So where are you originally from? I'm from a suburb right outside of Dallas, Texas, called Carrollton. So nice. it's, it's considered, like, far north Dallas. All right. Well, since you said that, what is your football team? Because I will hang the fuck up if you say Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> I guess click. All right, let's go. <laughs> go birds. Oh, man. I mean, I guess I could say, like, the Cowboys, you know, but honestly, I really feel like it's by default because when you grow up in Texas, I mean, sports are so big, especially football. Oh, is it? And is it everybody's, like, like, a Cowboys fan. And, and, and I really think that was kind of it. I was actually born on the Super Bowl in, in 83. I think it was the Dolphins and... Oh, I can't remember, like, what? I can't remember Dolphins and somebody. It wasn't the Cowboys. And, uh, <laughs> it wasn't the Cowboys. Isn't it? Listen, uh, I had, like, 
You can't so tell him. Super Bowl Cowboys hoodie. Don't be nice now. If Danny starts to beat on you about the Cowboys, you tell him to shut the fuck up. All right. <laughs> He, he's heard there, it before. I'm from, I'm right outside Philly, baby. Are you, we are can... you a Cowboys fan? No, I'm an e- Eagles fan. <laughs> I think I'm the only one that doesn't, that Tony, hates the Eagles. You be quiet, Tony. You be quiet. Yep. I think you're in the closet, man. I think really. <laughs> you're out there, a you're closeted Cowboys really fan. Like the... That's probably a thing up here. <laughs> oh, of, of course. <laughs> but in uh, Texas, don't they always say like God family football? I might be making Wait, that what? up. Don't they always say, like, family, God, football? Like, they're what? the three most important things in Texas? We're but... a bunch of addicts here, yes. dude. I think it's drugs, God, yeah. and then everybody else below. <laughs> I don't know. All the, too. all the football movies and TV shows are literally stationed in Texas. Eh. Yeah. Friday Night Lights. I mean, football, football is really big. I mean, I literally just grew, I grew up with always like football playing in the background and my stepfather had you know at the time you couldn't get like you know you didn't have one of these big ass tvs where you can like watch four different screens at once we literally had three tvs in the living room with like different football games on and that's how i grew up so it was like always football you know when i hear the sound of football it's like lulling me to sleep like kind of how like kids get lulled to sleep in the, in the car because it was just like how i grew up with like it always in the background you know all right well since we kept it a little lighthearted right in the beginning we'll forgive you <laughs> um why don't you tell I'm us fine. a little bit about um like how you grew up and and what type of like family environment you lived in yeah for sure well, it definitely wasn't always, uh, you know, exciting times with the cow- with cowboy with the Cowboys. Yeah, we know. It's been a while. You know, <laughs> Eagles win one Super Bowl um, and literally they think they're the greatest team on earth. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with that. So, um, I grew up uh, with like my mom and my dad, and I had a sister that's two years younger than me, and we actually I. The first five years of my life, I, I lived in a city called South Lake, Texas, and our um, our house kind of like backed up to an elementary school that I went to. So I had this really big yard um, where I could just like play all the time. I ran away like all the time. You know, I was like this super lost child who felt awkward and weird and... Um, just did not feel as though I fit in and I was really angry. I didn't know how to manage my emotions and I would just run away all the time. So if I wasn't at home, I was like at the playground at the schoolyard. I was at a friend's house trying to hide out maybe two blocks over trying to like build some fort out of wood or some shit. I don't know. (laughs) So, um, I definitely was just running away all the time. Um, and that's, I would say like probably the theme of my adult life as well, you know, uh, running away from everything. But, um, you know, I had a father that was super, um, angry, you know, I, I mean, if, if I could give it a name, maybe like a rageaholic, you know, I remember this one time he dropped a coffee mug on the ground and it was like every other word was like a cuss word, yelling and screaming out of his mouth for like the next five minutes, you know, and that happened probably like 10 times a day. And I grew up like that. So it was really traumatic. And, um, and it was really, I was like, it was like walking on eggshells all the time. And I was constantly wondering if I was either going to get in trouble, if I was doing the right thing or the wrong thing. And then I very quickly like learned how to survive in that situation by trying to either control it, manipulate other people, try to figure out how I needed to be, you know, to make sure that everything was like calm, cool and collected. So at a young age, I was super hypervigilant and, um, and so, yeah, it was, it was definitely, like, a, a tough childhood. Uh, I didn't really get along with my sister. You know, we were at each other all the time. Um, and she was she was favored by my mom, where I was favored by my grandmother. Come to find out, that was actually done on purpose, which is kind of, you know, messed up or whatever. But <laughs> dysfunctional family. You know, I think, you know, my grandmother saw that my mom was, like, favoring my sister 
So they so they just like consciously decided all five all favor Kami and then you favor Shelby. And I was like, I asked my mom about that later. I was like, Mom, what how did that sound like such a good idea? And she was like, she just all she could do is apologize. She's like, I'm really sorry. That was like really shitty mom moment. And I'm like, Yeah, <laughs> it is. Wow. So, so that was like a real conversation that they uh, had. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that it was like a conscious, like, you know, at some point they realized, you know, and they were kind of at each other and, and it was just super dysfunctional, you know, like, I mean, my dad was the type of dad that whenever I had my first drink of alcohol, you know, I got caught drinking uh, margaritas and I was probably like 15 or 14 or something. And uh, the next day he walked into my room and I was cleaning my room and he was like, Kami, you know, he was like, here's a, he was like, why don't you have a margarita? And at that point I knew that I had been caught, you know, and I was like, no dad, like, I don't want a margarita. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you do. And I was like, no dad, I know what you're trying to do. I really don't. And he was like, you're having a fucking margarita. <laughs> and, um, and like, he literally made me drink like, like probably five margaritas. And he taught me how to do, like, tequila shots. And I remember he left with my sister to, like, go to the store or something. And and I, I and this is, like, pure, this is, like, totally how, you know, like, this disease works. But, like, I didn't like the way the tequila tasted at all. But I was, like, I liked the way that I felt. And, um, and so I was, like, I probably did 10 shots of tequila at the age of 15, plus a few margaritas, blacked out, drunk. Um, you know, and the next day the punishment was to clean up the mess that I made, which was like throwing up all over the house. And that's the way that my dad always punished me. And that was the thinking behind it. And, and I mean, it was so dysfunctional in that sense, you know, like who punishes their teenager like that, you know? And of course, like, because I have this disease of addiction, like it's not going to stop me from never drinking again. <laughs> so... If that, anything, it really just, like, you know, woke up the beast. That kind of reminds me of, like, hearing a friend get caught by his dad smoking. Um, yeah. And what his dad made him do when he was caught smoking was he had to smoke the whole pack back to back to back to back until the pack was mm -hmm. finished. Um, and I think that in these men's mind that they think that uh, – if you do way too much and you have a negative side effect or whatever from it, that you'll never touch it again. But um, unbeknownst to them, they don't know that people like us um, will do things like that until, you know, we have negative side effects. I think they just yeah, reinforced it. I think they just reinforced it. I was like, all right, you know what? Now I know how to do tequila shots. <laughs> yeah. So Right? I mean, like, I never would have known how to do that unless, like, you know, he taught me. And then he also had this mentality of, you know, like, just don't get caught, you know? And so that's the childhood that I had was, you know, like, how to how to get away with stuff, honestly, you know? And, and don't get me wrong, there was, like, a lot of really great memories with my dad, you know? Like, he, he it's really interesting to, like, have a childhood where I remember him, like, playing with us all the time and, like, holding us and, and loving us in, like, so many ways. But, like, it, it was so hard to, like, figure out who my dad was because one minute he was, like, super loving and the next minute he was, like, this rageaholic. So it was, like, super confusing as a child to try to figure out, you know, like, who who is this parent and, like, am I safe, you know? So I just kind of grew up in this sense of, like, really not feeling safe and, and always trying to figure out, like, how to get safe. And, yeah. and that is really, like, what brought me to, like, addiction and, you know, like, love addiction with men and all that stuff. So it seems like your father had the type of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde personality, and um, you kind of... Yeah, this, I would agree with that. You had to stay on yeah. your toes around him. Um, now, at... at 15 this was was love addiction in the picture at this point yeah you know so um we i think of the term that you know people call it in like sl what is it slaa yeah. you know it's like love addiction or sex addiction 
And like I was telling you guys before the show, I wish I could really like coin like a new term for it because it's just like all encompassing. Like when you think of love addiction, you're kind of like scratching your head. Like, what do you mean? You know, and then sex addiction to me is just like, oh, okay, it's just like you're addicted to sex. But it just goes so much deeper than that. You know, it's a lot more complicated, almost like what it feels like, because it's so many different aspects of like safety and hypervigilance and an inner child that wasn't loved. And so it's like, but that's for me, like that's how it really came out. And, um, and I would say probably when I was in sixth grade is was my first time that I was ever really triggered into some type of like addictive behavior. And it happened to be with a guy. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember your first kiss, but I really remember my first kiss. And, um, Me too. and it was like, it was like really intoxicating. It was very, uh, like euphoric for me. That was the first time I ever had like this euphoric feeling. And I remember like I ran into my mom's bedroom after I like kissed this boy. His name was Jimmy Colors, by the way. And I've never <laughs> been able to find him since. His last name is Colors? Colors, yeah. And I've always wanted to find him. I don't I don't know how to find him. So if you find him, let me know. Oh, we're looking for him now. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably so, like a like a ultra celebrity in Hollywood right now that changed his name or something. You've missed out. That was your chance. <laughs> I know, man. I was really upset about it too. You could have been <laughs> Mrs. So, Colors. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been Katie Colors, okay? Oh shit. Nice. I dig so, it. I <laughs> I went I went to mom's bedroom and I just was freaking out and I remember just like being on this high of like, wow, like, this is like so amazing. And I wanted more of that. And, and I just like instantly made this connection to like kissing boys meant that I could feel good. And I wanted more of that. And so that was like an addictive behavior that started, you know, at like sixth or seventh grade. And that's when my parents were going through a divorce. So like even more of a reason to like, you know, subconsciously like distract myself, you know? So it was like, it was like the perfect storm you know, of dysfunction, distraction, and addiction. And um, and then from there on, you know, I was, like, super promiscuous, like, in high school, and um, which led to, like, so many consequences. And, um, and on top of it, like, you know, I started trying drugs. I mean, that's really when I started trying drugs. You know, and, um, of course it always starts, you know, I started with alcohol and marijuana and, and like from there, you know, like tried some harder drugs. It was a miracle that nobody ever like put heroin in my hand, to be honest. And, um, same here. And yeah. So, and then I ended up dropping out of high school and I somehow convinced my parents that was like the right thing to do. My, that was me being like super manipulative, you know? to get what I thought I needed. And, um, and when I was, I mean, I would say like I started, you know, really kind of spreading my wings and trying to find out who I was and wanted to go to college and stuff. And then when I turned 19, I was raped by coercion and, um, and I was like really brainwashed into like sex trafficking and, prostitution and stuff like that and it was like a that was a crazy situation and it only lasted like two weeks for me um but it it was like when I don't know if you guys have ever seen that Epstein documentary but it was like it was somewhat yeah it was like somewhat similar to that and I remember when I watched the documentary I was like holy shit like I was truly like brainwashed in the same way like when you're young like that you really don't realize that when you have this like authority figure over you, like telling you you should do A, B, and C, um, and you're so like vulnerable and you've got all this dysfunction in your life. For me, it was like, it was again, the perfect storm, you know? And, and so it just like added, you know, like salt to the wound. And, um, and then probably from that time on is like when my drug addiction, like really started taking off and I was like partying all the time and, I was definitely a weekend warrior and I thought it was okay to like drink a bunch and like go on a lot of cocaine. And, um, and by the time I was 23, I was like, got my first DUI and, um, 
and I got a, a charge for a controlled substance, and I was put on probation, and I really thought I was like, you know, like nobody could touch me, and I, I didn't understand, like, I mean, I really didn't think I had a problem. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like, I did not think I was like a drug addict. <laughs> Isn't it, um, isn't it interesting how, um, I mean, just telling everything that you just said to us, you know, you experienced all these horrific things and in the midst of our addictions, we still somehow find a way to justify that this is normal behavior and there is nothing wrong in our lives. I mean, that is, mm -hmm. you just said so much information and, uh, I mean, honestly, I mean, it's it's wonderful that you didn't get caught in that lifestyle because I have had conversations with women that have have spent years in that loop and and living that lifestyle, and I mean, it's brutal. It's it's like mind blowing to me that you know that's a whole world in itself, and the yeah, uh, I hate to say the word culture, but it it, it I guess it is kind of like a culture to that lifestyle. You know, and um, wild, wild stuff. You know, as a yeah, no, it was it was definitely like a miracle that um that I didn't, you know, and like honestly, the only reason like why I didn't get like more caught up in that because like you know the whole the whole way that I even started to get caught up in it was I so back then I sound so old saying that's okay <laughs> so back then. You know, like they had, they still were advertising jobs in the newspaper. And I was 19 years old. I wanted to be a model. And there was this ad in the newspaper that, that said, um, you know, looking for a receptionist for a modeling agency. And, and that's how it all started. I mean, I didn't realize that it was a nude modeling agency. And then I didn't realize there was actually no such thing as nude modeling agencies. And then it's actually like an escort service, you know, but they don't teach you that in school. <laughs> so, you know, it was like, that's how it all started. Like something as simple as that, you know, and, and if it wasn't for my aunt who ended up like calling the police and like telling them that I had been raped, like I probably would have like stayed in that, you know, and, and this guy like ended up like threatening my family. He was like, if you ever tell anybody, I'll like kill you, I'll hurt your family. You know, like, do you know who I am? Like, all those, like, things, you know? And, um, and yeah, it was like a whirlwind. And you're right. It's like, I went through all of that, and I still was just like, I, I guess this stuff just kind of happens, you know? And, and when I got my DUI, I was like, I, I felt like everybody at least got one DUI in their life. You know, <laughs> that was kind of my mindset. Not me. I should have, so, but I, I didn't oh, get I mine. I should have, too. Multiple yeah, I, times. I think I've earned about 10 of them, <laughs> at least. Yeah. Um, the, the man who, um, you know, did this to you, did, did he ever, did you ever get justice? You know, it's so interesting because, you know, I, I thought that maybe I was like special, that I was like the only one that this would happen to you because that's usually like what perpetrators do. They make you like feel like you're the only one or special. And, um, and so when I went into the police station, to like give my statement they basically busted out this whole binder wow. full of women around the same age that he had done the same thing to and they were trying to catch him and um and unfortunately like nothing really came of it because at that time there was no such thing as rape by coercion back then so they couldn't charge him with anything and um and then i said and then I, all of a sudden i got a phone call like two years later saying that he had been um, incarcerated, but that it was on, like, tax evasion. So it wasn't even anything related to, like, sexual assault or trafficking or anything like that. So I actually recently tried to find out, um, like, to get a police report and to try to find out, like, what happened, and, and I haven't been successful in, like, getting that info. But I am curious to know, like, did anything ever, like, happen to this guy, you know? So... Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess the answer is I don't know. We, um, when I was a kid, uh, three doors down from my house was a, a, a pedophile. And uh, I don't share about this story very often, but um, I, I'm going to right now. 
Um, so when we were kids, me, my sister, and a couple of her friends, he had two daughters, and he would let us play with them, and we were all like 10, 12 years old, and um, we would hang out outside of the house and stuff, and then this guy would like try to coerce us into his house with... I don't know if you remember people used to burn CDs back in the day. And so he would, he would say like, Hey, I could burn you a CD. And that was like the big thing at the time, like LimeWire and all that. And and we would always like keep our distance. Right. Well, at the time there was AIM too. And this, this fucking weirdo at AIM and he was messaging us at like, you know, crazy hours of the night saying like, Hey, I could burn you a CD. And one time we went over there and, um, his daughters weren't there. He got them like every other weekend. And when we went over there, uh, we were looking for my sister's friend. And when we knocked on the door, she answered and she was all disheveled. And, um, she, so like, and another time he had like asked us if we wanted to come in to watch pornography. And, uh, what? yeah. And I, I, uh, we made a whole case against them. We had to testify in court. Um, and justice was served against him. Uh, I'll never forget that fucking weirdo's name. I won't even mention it, but, um, yeah, like people like that, um, who do these slime ball sleazy fucking things, they don't understand how much they fuck up young kids, like kids that know no better. And I'm not going to say, cause he didn't do much to me, but talk, um, but I'm not going to say like he, he fucked up a group of kids and all three of us became addicts and I'm not saying it was directly a result from him, but things like that, when they pile up over top of other things and, and other things on top of that, um, you know, we're susceptible and, um, I, 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 the only reason I say that is because I, I understand. I, I know what you've gone through and not to the extent that you have, but, um, you know, uh, my heart goes out to you and, um, I hope that man gets exactly the karma that he deserves. I mean, I'm the violent one of the bunch. I'll tell you, honestly, I hope there's a bullet in his head right now, but I mean, that's just because I'm military guy and, and I got anger issues and, you know, whatever, man. That's how you solve that problem in my answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. I agree. Um, I'm, so, so, I mean, we, we took a little deep dive on, on, um, some things that you experienced, but I, I kind of want to, I'd like to dive into this idea of love addiction, you know, like, um, is this it, yeah. like, so your definition, or maybe I'll ask what I think your saying is maybe like uh going from one relationship right to the next or um i'm kind of curious because maybe i'm maybe this is something i've experienced you know (laughs) yeah you know um i would say it's all the things but really it's really interesting because you know what i have found in my recovery is that a lot of women and just men and just people in general don't really talk about this aspect um like that much you know like when I share about this stuff like in meetings or mostly in meetings or when I'm sharing my story like I get so many people that relate to me and they're just like wow like please keep sharing that because nobody talks about it you know and um and like there is a 12-step fellowship for like sex and love addiction so there is that aspect of it and I have gone to a couple of those meetings but that was really early in my recovery and um And it was just like, it was almost like too much for me, you know? And so at the time, like I just, um, I just worked like another, you know, 12 step fellowship and, and worked those steps and worked with my sponsor and stuff. And, uh, and just kind of like, I did a lot of like outside help, like in therapy and things like that. So I've been like pretty vigilant, but I would say, um, yeah, like for sure. Whenever I was in my addiction, I, I would say, okay, so to kind of like move forward in my story, like, you know, I, I went to treatment when I was 23. I didn't believe that I was a drug addict. 
you know, I had to go because they basically told me either you go to rehab or you're going to go to jail. So I chose rehab and, you know, like I didn't believe that I was an addict, but I, um, wanted to help addicts. So I was like, I'm going to go to school to be a substance abuse counselor. So everyone, I like everyone and their mother. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. So I like started on that journey and, you know, I ended up drinking the same day I got out of like rehab, but like, honestly, like a higher power was truly like working in my life because the next day I just like knew that I had to go to a 12 cent meeting. And, um, I, I mean, that was like by the grace of God, because, you know, like that was not my idea. And, um, and so I started doing that and like immediately like met this guy, you know, um, and, and he became my boyfriend. He had like a couple years clean. So I guess you could say he 13 set me and, um, <laughs> my man. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but honestly I've done my own 13 stepping. So, you know, um, I think, I, but I think we all have, I mean, let's be yeah, right. So, and I think like that, that's like really what it gets into is like, you know, it, there's all these suggestions when you go to 12 step fellowships of like stay out of a relationship the first year in your recovery. And, you know, like we talk about that, but we don't necessarily like talk about why, you know, or why it's a suggestion. It's not really a part of the fellowship. It's just a suggestion based on experience. But for me, mm. like growing up, like, yeah, I was like super promiscuous you know, like with men and sex and everything, but I wasn't really looking to have sex because I like necessarily loved the way that it felt. I mean, I barely even like knew my body or like how to get it to work right or be in touch with it. It was more about like wanting the attention and wanting to feel loved and connected with someone. And for whatever reason, I mean, there's like a lot of different reasons. I mean, if you really want to get into it, but like, of like, getting like feeling like that was real connection you know when it was really just like this hurt wounded inner child who needed to feel safe and loved you know so it really does go back to like the childhood and feeling like abandoned and not feeling safe and seeking that externally and so I like repeated that pattern like over and over and over and over again and then as an adult you know like I, I lived in this fantasy, you know, they, they talk about that in 12 step fellowship sometimes, but you know, like living in this fantasy of like what I think it's going to be like. And, and this fantasy is, can almost like create like a, a fake sense of safety for a certain amount of time. And, and that's really like what I did. You know, I started dating this guy. We were together for four years. It was like super toxic on and off. You know, I didn't believe I was an addict, but he was in recovery I started doing Al-Anon because I thought that was relevant. And <laughs> so even with all that, I'm still keeping my addiction live and well because I'm using him to fill this hole inside of me the same way that I would have used drugs, you know? And it was really about, like, I want your attention. I want you to love me. I want you to make me feel safe. I had no idea how to make my – how to feel safe within myself, you know, and I think ultimately that's what happens often is like whether it's a, whether it's men or whether it's women, sometimes we're just like seeking to fill the safety or fill a void. And, um, and it comes hand in hand, like newly in recovery, you know. Um, and like even after I got out of that relationship, I got right into another one. And in that relationship, my addiction really started to take off. That's when I became, like, super addicted to, like, pain medication because I have a neurological muscle disorder. And so I was, like, working in treatment, taking pain medication, and I had, like, enough wherewithal to be, like, I need to take pills and not, like, I can't take pills and work in treatment. And so I, like, opted to be on, like, short-term disability and, like, took pills for six months, got super addicted, you know, almost, you know, I tried to commit suicide, I had a drug overdose, you know, but, and it was, like, such a toxic relationship, you know, it was very verbally abusive, and I remember, I tell my sponsor this all the time, you know, it's the same, it's, you can look at it just like drugs, like, I remember that I've been in these, in, in, in these relationships, all of them, and had so many moments of feeling like, I, I need to get the hell out of this relationship, but I can't leave, you know, and that's exactly what it's like with drug addiction, like, I want to stop using these drugs, but I can't stop using, 
and 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 I remember being crawled like curled up like fetal position on the bed, crying hysterically, going, "I need to get out of this relationship, but I just can't leave." And it again all stems from like this abandonment, like emotionally and physically, like as a child. And um, and in my recovery, it has like really shown up in some like interesting ways, you know. Like I knew when I got clean, I I had this therapist at my treatment center before I got clean, and he basically was like, "Kami, um, you know, like if you get into a relationship once you get clean, like it's gonna take you back out." And I was like, "What?" And and like he he said this like a few times to me and it finally just like really hit home and I understood that like these relationships the way that I was like abusing them and and getting addicted to like you know like the attention the the codependency there was so much codependency there you know um you know make 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 the person love me like all kinds of dysfunctional things you know, like if I were to get into something like that, it would end up failing because it always would fail. And then I would get high. And it was literally by the grace of God that somehow it clicked for me. And so when I got clean, I knew I could not be like in a relationship. So I stayed out of a relationship for the first two years of my recovery. Now, with that being said, I was like, I was still like messing around with guys on the couch and want to go out on dates. And, you know, so it's just really interesting, like, um, like how it all played out and, and what I really, you know, talk with my sponsees about, you know, my sponsees, like, you know, a lot of them like go through so many women, like go through the same thing where they're like, I don't want to be in this relationship and it's not good for me, but I can't leave. And, and, um, and so I have the ability, like from my own experience to really like help these women, uh, to really help them and to let them know that like, it's truly like a process, you know, like, um, healing and growing is, is something that has to happen. And it's, it takes a lot of time, you know, cause I can't tell you how many times, you know, I like it, it it's very similar to drugs, you know, it's like you, you do. Or, or just like acting out, you know, like, I don't know if you guys have acted out in your recovery, basically like, welcome at some point it doesn't work anymore, you know, um, because you, you're getting better, you're, you're growing and you're healing wounds and, and that's really what it's been for me. And I don't know if that really answered your question at all, but you know, it's, there's like so many different aspects of love addiction and, um, I guess I could give you like a, like an example, you know, of like, you know, I, I have, I have really like spent a lot of time healing and growing and this like inner child stuff, you know, this wounded like inner child within me, which a lot of people are like, what the hell does that even mean? Um, but it's just like this sense of like that I, I have these wounds within me that, um, they're triggered, you know, like if you're ever triggered by something like out of nowhere, it's usually this deep seated wound from like childhood. And that's what I've learned. That's what I've been taught. And, um, and so because of that, you know, like it's, um, it's been one of these things where it, it shows up, you know, in my life with men, like even now, like I'm so much better and like, um, you know, like dating and things like that and, and not pe- not picking men that are like addictive for me, but it still shows up. There's just some, some men that are super addictive for, for women in these circumstances. And, um, and it, and it almost has to be like mitigated, but it's such a process. Um, and, and I, I actually don't even date right now, you know? So, um, because I'm still healing and growing. So it's, it's really a process. I'm not recovered. I'm just recovering. <laughs> I dig it. Share that. I was going to, I was going to, um, bounce in there for a moment. Cause I'm, I'm kind of curious and I've, I've talked to other women, uh, in our 12 step program that, uh, I've personally witnessed them go through these transformations, and and I think maybe maybe some of us men do too. Honestly, um, 
I can relate to, and especially during my addiction, being in relationships where I, I was uh, either compensating too much to try and appease the other person, or, mm-hmm. um, and, and I knew that I was unhappy. I, I just hated my life, you know, but I, I did it anyway because I just wanted to make the other person happy. And, um, you know, di- discussing the difference between love and sex, and I think exploring and finding a way to disconnect that, because, like, in the beginning, it sounded like, you know, uh, now this is just my interpretation of what I heard, but it sounded like you, you kind of learned how to use sex as a, as a tool to get affection and safety from your, your significant other, you know? I mean, it, it kind of sounded like that. And then, you know, like, and, and, and I think maybe even myself, I experienced something like that, but also eventually learned that I don't have to, you know, necessarily be in love with somebody to experience that, you know? So like, like you said, there's so much learning involved and, and me, myself, I also experienced some things as a young child that I definitely should not have experienced. And I think that it definitely poisoned my interpretation of a relationship between a man and a woman, you know? So, you know, again, I I was a, a very awkward high school kid and like, you know, I was not Mr. Charismatic high school, you know, football, you know, uh, what's the guy that throws the ball? The quarterback? Tony Reddy. <laughs> Tony Reddy. I don't watch football. These two morons are sitting here arguing with you about football. I could care less. I'm a skateboarder. I, I don't care what these guys do. Um, I do want to say one thing. Like, after you explaining everything, I literally am thinking back, and I was the same way. Like, I always need it to be in a relationship. I was with my son's mm-hmm. mom for like six, seven years. And literally we broke up and a week later I was with someone else. And yeah. like I, once I got ended up getting clean, it literally is the, this is like after rehab, I got in a relationship and finally I was like, I need to take time for myself. And this is the longest I ever been, which I haven't been in a relationship and I can feel myself getting better. Like, I'm not relying on someone else, and that person is not relying on me to make them feel comfortable, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's like, you know, I don't know about you, but I definitely would, like, break up with my boyfriend and then get back together and then break up and then get back together. Yeah, that's (laughs) me and my son's mom to a T. Like, we would break up every other month and then we'd get back together. I mean, it sounds like you two guys are single, you know? So I'm just saying, Cammie... (laughs) <laughs> this is a handsome fellow we got sitting right here. <laughs> you don't Only want my problems. It, is that what's gonna happen? <laughs> this is a dating show. <laughs> this is this is a great relationship for you too, because you're so far away from each other. There's gonna be no sexual relationship. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I I had something you know, to say. Um, you I wanted to say this. So, it you said in the beginning when you were. Um, when you last, you know, whatever you said that a lot of women don't talk about this. A lot of people in general don't talk about this. And I think it's very refreshing because like most people in recovery, I myself included, you know, we come in, we're broken. We don't like, we're not getting like the good feelings from the drugs anymore. They're gone. And you know, you said fill the void. So we lean on something that we, you know, can attain. And a lot of the time that is sex or love. And, um, it's very refreshing to hear a woman. Cause you, you go to the rooms for a while and like one day randomly, maybe in your recovery, you might hear a woman share about this. And when you yeah. do, um, you know, everyone's like looking around the room and there's a double standard here. Like if a woman shares about this, people in the room um they'll they'll think like negative thoughts or at least that's what the the female might think so a lot of females hold back on that and i think this is something because like you said we need to heal and to heal we need to share um you know like when i was first got into recovery and after a year clean um i i did my fair share of picking it up and um you know uh 
I, I wasn't very proud of it. And, and I, you know, I would only tell my close people and my sponsor. Um, and, you know, like my sponsor at the time, like said, like, like, why? Like, why are we doing this? And for me, it was just like I had no self like um, acceptance. And I found my acceptance through, you know, women. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that more women need to share this because like uh, it's the double standard shouldn't exist. I mean, I think. Yeah, that- absolutely. I'm sorry. We we both keep cutting you off. I'm I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, you're fine. It's a great topic. There's a lot to talk about, you know? I think I think that sex in particular, uh, especially with uh recently like newcomers, active addicts that just got clean or whatever the case may be, and maybe maybe um, you know, the other fellowships as well. But I think to myself that it Sex addiction to me is so interesting because you can't ever completely stop it. You know what I mean? With drugs and alcohol and other, you know, addictions, the idea is abstinence. But with like a sex addiction, you have to just find a way to not do it so much. And that is crazy to me. I know that like when I first got clean, I also you know, my genitals became a new awareness, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, opiates, opiates, man, they numb them bad boys for like six years or seven years. I don't know. And, right. You know what I mean? And, and like now sex is honestly, let's be realistic and I'll call it as I see it. It was literally the last drug left that I could actually... Well, I don't know. I mean, I would say if you drank a bang and smoked cigarettes, maybe you could include those <laughs> A <too>. bang. <laughs> yeah. Now, mine is uh, four shots of espresso from Starbucks. You I'm pretty much... Uh, I'm a Starbucks men. girl. I'm a I, Starbucks girl. Man, all right, just, we're recovering. We're not recovered. So. I just smoke American Spears and drink Red Bulls all day. Yeah. <laughs> Florida ain't too different. <laughs> yeah. So, so... Uh, right. All right, we are we are officially done interrupting you. It is your floor now. I I truly apologize. <laughs> no, you're fine. I was like, I felt like I was really like going on and on and on. So I'm glad that there's like some other conversation. But you know, I mean, you guys just really touched on so much, and it's really great to hear that you know I'm not alone. And I think it's interesting because although I'm a woman, you know, like it's still it doesn't really matter your your sex or gender or, you know, just whatever. Like it really just happens to people or at least, you know, addicts, you know, like, um, and for sure I was, you know, when I was, when I was early in recovery, I was, I didn't accept myself. I didn't love myself. I didn't know who I was. I, I wanted to feel okay. And it was definitely like this form of like acting out, but it was so, it's so subconscious and, and deep seated that it all, it just doesn't even feel like acting out to some degree, you know, and it's, it, it is kind of taboo to kind of talk about it, you know, and when people do talk about it in meetings, you're right. People are looking around the room, like judging, especially if you're new in recovery, you know, like defect galore, you know, <laughs> like because we haven't, we haven't really figured out that we're all the same. We're all connected. We all struggle with like similar things and feelings and judgments and so on. And, um, and the truth is, is like, like, it's tough, man. You know, I mean, like I have so many stories, honestly, but you know, like it, it and it's just so similar to drug addiction. Like, the obsession, the compulsion, and then it being removed. I mean, that's been a miracle in my life, you know? Like, I remember when I first got clean, I was, like, seeing this guy, and he was, like, a drug to me, literally. And um, and because I was getting clean, I remember I was in um, Halfway, and I told my uh, Halfway house manager, I was like, listen, I was about to get my curfew extended to midnight, and, and, I, and it was, like, 10 o'clock or something <laughs> already. And, and uh and I was like, do not extend my curfew. Only terrible things will happen, you know? And like, and it wasn't about drugs for me. It was about men. Like I knew that I was, and it, and it wasn't really about sex. It was about, it was about. Obsession. It, 
Yeah, it was about obsession. It was about, I was able to get intoxicated just from being around somebody and playing this fantasy game of like what could be and like getting my self-acceptance and approval through another human being. And, um, and it was so intense for me, you know, and, and, and then top it off, you have like this other person that is also like, emotionally unstable and seeking the same thing and it's again just the perfect storm for like disaster to happen Katie, and i remember oh, when i was trying sorry go ahead uh, i was just gonna say um i don't i mean when i was doing my my thing in early recovery i would i don't know if you can relate to this uh you didn't even apologize listen i'm gonna I call did you say, i did Dude, say you i'm didn't sorry even apologize, yes i man. did Listen, sh- he's sorry. Right. I'm going to say You're sorry. You're screwing for up him. the episode. Shut your <laughs> mouth. Anyway, um I I don't know if you did this too. So, in my experience in early recovery when like I first like kissed a girl or had sex or I would have the you said fantasies. I would have these fantasies where I'd see myself and her. We're married. We have a kid. <laughs> I'm talking like this is a weekend. Dude, like, everybody. We I all did it. We all I do did that it. if a girl says hi to me. <laughs> yeah. You're like you, you picture this whole life and nothing ever fucking happened. She might even ghost you. Is, is that something that like you went through? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. You're laughing cuz cuz yeah. you agree. Yeah, dude, I was because, you know, like, honestly, I really feel like it's just this fantasy happens and it's about like seeking safety, you know, like if I can like plan out because for me, like, you know, I have society telling me that like, I need to get married and have kids, you know, like that's for women, you know, like that's how I grew up. And that's like what my parents like, you know, showed me as well. So for me that I thought for me to be enough for me to be okay, for me to be accepted and loved, I needed to find a husband, get, you know, get married and have kids. And then I would be enough. And somehow this fantasy was just like created and, and then taken to the extreme because I'm a freaking addict, you know, becomes this like fantasy where I'm like all of a sudden getting like emotionally high. I'm getting like a fix off of this fantasy and I, I learned that, you know, like pretty early on in recovery and, um, and honestly like beat the shit out of myself because I like knew I was like getting some type of fix, but honestly, I'm so glad that I went through it because, um, I get to help so many women today because again, this is something that we don't really like talk about that much. And we, I mean, sometimes you just keep going back, you know, to it's almost like getting a fix, you know, and and it's very similar to food or sex or whatever. And, and there might not even be sex involved, you know? It's just about, like, being with somebody to, like, feel, like, um, like emotionally okay. And the truth is it only lasts for, like, a short amount of time. If you're getting better, it only lasts for a short amount of time. And the women that I work with, you know, like, I see just the same pattern of, like, leaving, knowing that they deserve something better than what they're what they're actually like finding themselves in and um and then continuing to go back and and back and forth back and forth and i did the same thing i i do the same thing you know and like i would like to say that like i'm fixed and recovered but the truth is is like i'm just recovering and you know like i i'm still apt to like fall into that same thing you know like just a couple of weeks ago i met this guy and you know i'm not dating i'm not i'm not seeking anything out and you know like his like his like stuff like triggered my stuff and so all of a sudden i found myself like obsessing and like wondering and like play, being in this fantasy of like what if and he's over here like you know like he's got some really great qualities but also some like not really great qualities <laughs> and i'm like what's going on i have five and a half years clean like how is this still happening you know but the truth is is like I still am growing and changing and I still have like stuff that it needs to be healed. And in the meantime, like it, I'm, it, it's literally like human being, human beings will always be, we're always going to be triggered, you know? So it's about like, if I have some tools to like get myself out of it and to like basically talk myself down, you know, and, and that obsession can just come in all these different forms. And for me, this is one of the ways that it can come in. 
and and the deal is, is it's not with like every guy right like it's just about a certain kind of guy where it's like his wounds trigger my wounds and you know there's been a couple of guys that i've dated and felt like safe and secure and they're healthy and like it's all good you know so it's really interesting like how it can like show up sometimes and not other times but new early in recovery it was like all the time bam 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 <laughs> welcome yeah yeah i think we all have been down that road honestly but uh well at least i definitely have me too um i wanted to ask um and I think that I definitely did this with some relationships that I had early in recovery. Um, and I wonder if maybe you experienced this is that this overcompensation of dating somebody that I knew was struggling, but in my head, I thought I'm going to help this person, you know, I'm going to get in a relationship with them and I'm going to help them. I'm going to fix them. And therefore my problems don't really need to get fixed or or aren't as bad. You know what I mean? Like The this, caretaker. Yeah, this overcompensation of, okay, if I just focus on this person, I don't have to worry about myself so much. It'll kind of fix itself. Right. You know? Is yeah, that, that's, what, that's, what we, that's what we would call codependency at its finest. <laughs> Thanks. I, I don't and know if yeah. I should be insulted right now, but I did that a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, you know, I think codependency is the core, is like at the core of our addiction, you know, um, and that's really like about, uh, you know, like finding ourselves, seeking ourselves in someone else and trying to save others, you know, and that's just like one of the aspects. And yes, absolutely. You know, um, you know, I always thought I was going to be this person that like never dated somebody that had like less than a year clean if I had over a year clean or, you know, like. I remember seeing, like, I remember that one of the first, uh, one guy, I think I had, like, three years clean or something, and and this guy had, like, I don't know, eight, maybe a year clean or something, and I just was, like, questioning that, and, and then I found myself at almost, I think I had, like, four and a half years clean, and I met this guy, and he only had a few months clean, and I was really conflicted and really wanted to date him, and I didn't. I didn't think like on the surface level that I was trying to rescue him because I thought, you know what? He's like doing all the things. He's going to meetings. He's calling his sponsor. He's, you know, he's got a job. He's like got all the things working. You know, he's like, he's striving to be better and do more. Like I can work with that. He's I can allowed work out till 12. <laughs> you know? And, um, and the truth is, is like, he is a, I mean, I'm, I still talk to him to this day. He's a fantastic guy. He, um, <coughs> you know, like, but the truth is, is like, he was so, and this is like, he was so early in recovery. He was still trying to figure out who he wanted to be. And that's really like what tw the 12 steps like help you do, you know, is like kind of get on this journey to not only get clean, but to instill some spiritual principles and to start figuring out like who it is you want to be. And I just like swooped in there, like thinking like this is going to be different and this is special and it's unique. And what ended up happening was is he ended up relapsing and at some point like ended up overdosing. And it was like so traumatic for me. And all of a sudden all the triggers happened where I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel, you know what I'm saying? And the obsession started because I'm afraid to get abandoned. And so it just happened all over again. So, and then I had to realize that I actually was on some subconscious level, like trying to rescue him and like put him underneath my wing, you know? And although like some of that love was like true and healthy, like before he relapsed, there was still a huge part of it of me like being codependent and wanting to like save somebody, you know? So it's super slippery and tricky and now to this day like i have guys that ask me out that have less than a year clean and i'm like no absolutely freaking not i've learned my lesson you know and it's not <laughs> it's not even it's not even about like the clean time it's about like i genuinely want somebody to like figure out who they are without me you know and i think that is so important is like 
figure out who you want to be. Not to say that you can't do it with somebody else, but with my experience, like I don't want to, I don't want to rob somebody of the experience of getting to know themselves, you know, because like, I don't know about you guys, but I think I'm kind of distracting and I don't want to be a distraction <laughs> to anybody, you know? So I mean, you, I, got to do that. <laughs> I don't know, man. It sounds like you got way more recovery than me. I'll say that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it depends. Just I mean, for today, dude. Just for today. That is so true. Um, you should have asked me two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, you would have been like one up in me for sure. Uh, <laughs> so we're coming to that time where <clears throat> we kind of wrap it up. Um, we try to stay. What? It's over? Yeah. I mean, you you just went off, girl. You did your thing. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, well, first I want to ask you this. When when you were messaging the Instagram, I said to you a question. You said you would answer it on the show. Do you remember that? I knew you were going to ask me. Yeah. So, yeah. So who's your favorite guy on the show? Is it Tony, Tuna, or Danny? Guys, I, I feel I – feel, I'm going to get really codependent here. I'm really afraid to answer this question. <laughs> Just tell him how awesome I, I am. Tell him how funny I am. I agree. He knows. I, I really don't have a favorite, but if, if I really, if I had to choose, I would go with Danny. Yeah! Oh, you don't like the what quiet What the fuck's up, guy? son? Danny, listen, we're still at like a 10 to 1 here, all right, dude? <laughs> what, you don't like the, uh, the quiet fat guy in the corner? That's my favorite, just so you know. I so I'm you your favorite? Yep. Thank you. So, all right, we usually um let our guests kind of... Uh, end with a quick uh, note, you know, Story, if you want to, anything, if you want to just like shout something out or, you know, say something yeah. hopeful to people listening, whatever you want to do, it's your floor. You got a little bit. Um, well, thank you for that. Um, really, I guess I would just say to kind of just like wrap everything up is that, um, you know, there's more to life than like drugs, sex, rock and roll. <laughs> and, um, I mean, I like, need the rock so... and roll. <laughs> <laughs> there's just, there's so much more to like life and recovery, you know? And I would just encourage people to like be easy on themselves, you know? Like, I find women and men can be just so terribly hard on themselves, and we're all just gathering information to try to figure out what works for us and what doesn't work for us. And, um, and it's like a day to day thing, you know, what works for me today might not work for me tomorrow, you know, and I can't live on anybody else's recovery. I got to live on my own, you know, and, um, and really just to be easy on yourself, you know, like the answer is truly love and that comes in so many different forms. And, uh, and I'm just so grateful that I have the opportunity to like, share some hope with you people and you know and I have a lot more on the horizon you know I'm really working towards becoming like a public speaker and um, motivational speaker and really yeah thanks I'm really trying to to make all that happen so whether it's you guys or anybody else like follow me at Kami Krebs and um I got I'm trying to put together a website and do all the things so you should do a podcast look out for more what do you say? You should do a podcast. Yeah, you know, I've thought about it. I don't know. You know, this is my first podcast. You guys are, are my first. Well, wow. you, I'll tell you what. After the episode, once once we wrap things up, uh, we'll keep you on the line, and maybe we'll, we'll chit-chat about it, and I can give you a little advice here and there. And, you know, you can be guests on other podcasts as well. So it, it doesn't have to be yeah. the only – this doesn't have to be your only uh, poor experience of a podcast. <laughs> I, I do have another interview tomorrow, actually. I, when I told you I was, like, speaking podcasts, I, like, went all out. So. Damn. Nice. Outstanding. You're going to be, like, yeah. internet famous way faster than us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but thanks. Well, we appreciate you having on, uh, ha- having you on, and um, thank you for uh, reaching out to us. It was an amazing episode. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So glad. You're awesome. Thank you. Woo! <laughs>